There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of awesome what-ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome to the Medicine Path Podcast. I'm your host, Brian James. On this episode, I speak with Ellen Goldberg, who has been teaching the mystic arts of tarot, palmistry, and astrology for over 35 years. Ellen is the author of The Art and Science of Hand Reading, Classical Methods for Self-Discovery Through Palmistry, and she's the founder of the Oracle School in New York City. In our conversation, Ellen shares how she got started on the mystical path back in the 1970s as a sideline to her career as a social worker and therapist. We have a rich discussion on the history and symbols of the tarot, and Ellen was even kind enough to give me an impromptu palm and tarot reading. I had a really great time talking with Ellen, and I hope you enjoyed as well. But before we get to the interview, I want to take a moment and thank everyone who's taken the time to reach out via email and social media to tell me how much they appreciate the podcast. I love hearing from you guys, and it encourages me to keep looking for interesting and informative interview subjects and continue sharing them with you. So if you value these kind of conversations and want to keep them coming, I encourage you to show your support by leaving a review on iTunes. It only takes a few moments of your time, and it helps others find the podcast, which in turn really helps me out. Another way you can show your support is by sharing the podcast with your friends on social media. Or, if you're looking for support on your medicine path, you can join the Medicine Path Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash medicine path, where for a monthly contribution of just $5, you'll gain access to a comprehensive library of yoga practice resources, podcast extras, and a lot more. If you're looking for more personal support on your medicine path, consider booking a one-to-one yoga, coaching, or psychedelic integration session with me. Thanks to the magic of the internet, I work with people all over the world who are looking for compassionate, non-judgmental support as they navigate their own path of healing, growth, and transformation. You can find out more about those offerings at medicinepathhealingarts.com. Now, please sit back and enjoy this conversation with Ellen Goldberg on The Medicine Path. Okay, I'm with Ellen Goldberg, author, psychotherapist, and internationally renowned teacher of the mystic arts of tarot and palmistry. In addition to founding the New York-based School of Oracles and teaching internationally for the past 30 years, Ellen has maintained a successful private practice, offering both psychotherapy and readings that blend astrology, tarot, and palmistry. I want to thank you for joining me today, Ellen. Um, I'm delighted to do that, Brian, and that was a very nice intro. Good. I got everything right? You did everything right. It sounded so good. 
<laughs> okay. Well, I wanted to have you on uh, the podcast because over the past couple of years, I've been exploring the tarot as a way to develop my own intuitive abilities and also as a way to engage with my clients um, to help them look at their life with a fresh perspective. And when I was learning the tarot, I started to look around on YouTube and I found your videos which I really appreciated because they were so clear and approachable. And I wanted to share your work with my audience, many of whom might also be learning the tarot. And uh, I wondered if we could just start by you sharing how you first got introduced to the tarot. Well, when I was about 27, a neighbor who didn't know anything about tarot said, do you want me to read your cards? Well, I didn't know the tarot either. And so he read my cards. We had to look everything up in books, and they were remarkably accurate. And then as it happened, the very next week, I took a work, day off from work. I was a social worker in a Manhattan uh, clinic at that time, an abortion clinic, and I took the day off to see if I might get a higher degree. An uncle had offered to send me back to school to, uh, to advance. And I called up every school, everything in the phone book. I just said, send me your catalog. And there was a little school called Inner Vision. And by chance, the head of the school answered the phone. She never answers the phone, as it turns out, I found out later. But she said to me, oh, what do you think you might want to study? Little did I know, I did already know and revere the I Ching. That was my beginning of my love of the mystic world. But I had just had my cards read, so I said, well, maybe the tarot. She said, you know, there's a class tonight. Started last week, but if you come right down, you can get in it. And that was it. I never went on for that advanced degree in uh, sociology. It took me a long time to go back for my master's in psychology, but I took every course course at the School of Inner Vision, and I became the assistant to the palmistry teacher within the year. I asked for the tarot teacher as the tarot teacher had asked for me as well, but the head of the school said, no, you love tarot so much, you'll always study it, but if you don't go with the palmistry teacher, you're in danger of giving it up. So it's palmistry or nothing, and that was it. I became a palmistry teacher, and after that, a tarot teacher. The rest is really, it became my life. Yeah, if you don't mind me asking, what year was that? Oh, it's way back because I'm 74 now, and I was 28. It was just around the time of my Saturn return. So I'm dyslexic. I'm not good with numbers. But if you could figure it out, then we would know. <laughs> I'm going to guess, you know, I'm terrible at math as well, um, but I'm going to guess somewhere in like the late 60s? Maybe late 60s, early 70s, something like that. Of course, late 60s, I had been to Woodstock where I now have had cabins and community and I'm moving back again there to Woodstock, New York, but I'd been to the big festival and that changed my life. And that was in the late uh, 60s. So this and I was 24. We're talking early 70s for this. All right. So, yeah, I'm just trying to get a sense of, um, I mean, it seems like quite a unique thing to have a school that focuses on these mystic arts of palmistry and tarot. Did they teach anything well, else there? You, they pop up. You know, no school lasts forever. That's the way of mystic schools. They come, they have their time, and then they go. But I was great. And that school no longer exists. That was called School of Inner Vision. And I, they taught not only tarot, they taught the basics in everything from, uh, well, I took astrology, tarot, and palmistry there. I took ceremonial magic. I took healing. I took numerology. I took everything they had there. And then um, I graduated sort of graduated myself. You don't actually graduate from there. I was, by that time, their palmistry teacher. I taught there for three years. But I went on to the School of Mystical Sciences, which was on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. And that also no longer exists. But I, that was a Kabbalistic 
Dawn-based, Golden Dawn-based mystery school for tarot and Kabbalah. And I spent four years with them. I spent three years with InterVision, four years with Mystical Sciences. Then I went on to East West Institute and spent a couple of years with them uh, as majoring in holistic health and uh, nutrition for mental states was my specialty. And uh, wound up that long period, plus endless private classes and tutoring uh, and workshops. But I wound up with a master's in psychology at Goddard up in Vermont, which was just wonderful. And I went and opened a transpersonal practice right away, putting together all my mystic arts and meditation and the uh, master's in psychology as well. Wow. When you mentioned the East-West Institute, is that the old name of the California Institute for Integral Studies? Oh, it was not that one. Here is also one no longer exists. That's what happens when you live a long time. You get to see so many things come and go, and you know you're going to be just like that too. And I tell this to my students because I now have the School of Oracles. And of course, I've been teaching tarot and palmistry and training people. You know, and uh, it takes a year and a half to two years because I take big breaks between semesters. It's uh, their hundred hour courses in each of those. And so I have sent for the, over the last 30 to 40 years, so many fine promise and card readers. I teach uh, everything based in the Western uh, hermetic tradition, which I would say, even though I'm a follower basically of the perennial philosophy, that thread of truth that runs through all religions, uh, I have a great leaning towards uh, hermeticism and uh, the great, the Western mysteries. And so really, once you start on this path, many things happen for you. You know, I always call it fate takes a hand and it certainly did for me. And I've been privileged to be offered teaching positions where I'm a lazy girl. And I am not well disciplined, but I do have a great love of my subject. I am a quick study and I have great curiosity and great pride so that when I am asked to teach, I have to rise to the occasion and I have to learn and enrich myself for each occasion. So it's forced me to grow. And over these many years, I've become a rich resource. Hmm. I wonder, um, you know, myself as a yoga teacher, when I first started teaching, I don't know if I felt totally qualified yet to start teaching, but I was asked to teach. And I found that through the teaching, it really helped my learning. And not only did I hone my craft as a teacher, but it also helped me as a student. Have you, did you find the same thing with oh, your teaching? 100%. And you know that old adage, we teach what we most need to learn. And one of the things I tell my students, because I'm a very organized teacher and I have a clear thinking mind, I say, I've arranged this course like a syllabus. And if you take good notes, you'll have your whole syllabus for teaching and that to uh, consider it so they get the recordings, they get the notes, because I want people to be able to teach these subjects. But I just like you, Brian, I was 100% enriched by being given the opportunity to teach, yes, exactly like you, too soon, too early. And boy, you have to scramble to make it happen and stay one step ahead of the students until you really make the material your own. And mm. that was my best teacher. Absolutely. Hmm. I'm, I'm curious, you know, I've heard many stories about the origins of the tarot, and I'm wondering what your take on it is, and if you even feel that it's important to know exactly where it came from, or to draw a direct line to a certain source. Oh, I like the way you say that, because um, for me, and I'm writing on the tarot right now, it'll take me another year to complete my book on the tarot, it's my book on the on palmistry has been so successful, it's number one in its field. And so I'm encouraged to say, all right, I'm going to contribute on tarot too. And I gloss over, don't spend much time at all on the history of 
and origin of the tarot, but I will tell you what I believe. And I was very influenced by the work of the feminist historian, Barbara Walker, who wrote uh, The Women's Encyclopedia of Myths and Secrets. And she's got a very fine book called Secrets of the Tarot. I believe that's the name. Not that she's a good artist, and I think her cards are not well drawn. It doesn't matter. Her words and her research is wonderful. And I hope she's still alive and well. And um, because most of the people that I know who are in the sort of upper echelon of tarot authorities and teachers today, lovely people like Mary Greer or Rachel Pollitt or Robert Place, and these are wonderful human beings, they will all go with, well, the first decks appear in Renaissance Italy. And um, so this is when we have them and this is when it comes together. And I totally uh, agree that there was a, uh, there was, oh, I don't know what the right words are, I'll have to say it poorly. There was a urge in the Renaissance to find systems that brought together, that syncretized all existing knowledge, pretty big order, but they liked that. And the tarot fit that bill as well. Not that they knew 100% that it was the marvelous oracle that it has turned out to be. But this is what I understood from Barbara Walker. And once you read just a little bit of what she says, you get it. And now I know that the roots of the tarot go back not only far, but very wide. And you cannot just look to when those first decks appeared, because after all, we didn't have any printing press till, you know, when was that, 1600, something like that? How are they gonna make cards for the people? Each were only hand-drawn, you know, and maybe on leather for, uh, oh, you should see some of those early decks right here in New York at the Morgan Library, which they will let you see. Mm. Uh, oh my God. They're like, some of them are like miniature Raphael paintings. Mm. Uh, but this is the important thing. In the 13th century, the gypsies came to Europe. Now, the gypsies come from India, but when they, nobody was gonna care two hoots about anyone who came from India at that particular time, but everyone was fascinated by Egypt. So they called themselves gypsies for Egyptians, like people from Egypt. But they brought with them uh, the cards, because in India, people were illiterate. Well, they were illiterate all over the world, except for, you know, the the religious orders and the upper classes, but sacred books were arranged by like stacks of cards, illustrations, and shown to the people to illustrate uh, the story or the concept. And if you go back to uh, the great goddess Kali, and you see what's in her forearms, what she holds in her hands, it's the four, it's the emblems of the four suits of the tarot. She has a wand, a cup, a sword, and a wheel, which would be like our pentacle in the tarot. Hmm. You go a little, move a little further up in time and you see the great uh, goddess Nemesis, goddess of fate. She too holds those as her sacred objects. They even become sacred to Hermes. And so the idea of um, what has built the tarot, the elements, the archetypes, but you look at the uh, card of the chariot. Can you image that one in your own mind? Right in the major arcana. And, um, there is a man standing in a chariot, and there are usually two horses. But if you see the more modern version sometimes, like in uh, Case's version in the BOTA, there's sphinxes. 
But in the Bhagavad Gita, and here we're going at least 500 to 800 years BC, it says the self, the capital S, the self is the rider in the chariot of the body of which the horses are the senses and the mind is the reins. And we see that the image for this card comes from ancient teachings as do all of those cards in the major arcana, they are archetypal concepts and images. And so to me, the tarot is an ever-evolving, living thing. After all, you know this, and probably many of the people who are listening know this, who have read the cards for themselves or had them read. There is a moving, living intelligence behind these cards, they're just little pieces of paper, but the divine, the one, it yearns to communicate just like we yearn. There is a reciprocal yearning between creator and creation. And there's only one thing, one mind, and it will communicate, whether it's through the cards, the runes, the ching, palmistry, astrology, there is so much signs that we get so much is arranged for us. I like to think of us as us, little specks of nothing passing through existence. The universe has a, which is beyond a genius, so you have to call it divine. The divine arranges so much for each one of us and will communicate if approached with reverence and complete presence. Mm. And that's why tarot is still growing. That's why there can be all kinds of new decks available. That's why we can write books on it. That's why I feel all right to write on it, give my two cents, and uh, why everyone can. It is not a static set thing, say, like the I Ching is. That had many years when people added to it over the centuries. The sages added the lines and various interpretations. Now it's kind of set as it is. But tarot isn't. It's still growing and forming. Mm-hmm. Um, you kind of touched on you touched on this in your description about how the tarot is really a a collection or a synthesizing of these different symbols and archetypes from maybe we just say the collective unconscious uh, because it show they show up in all different uh, places in the world over time and you know when i when I really started to study the tarot. It was a bit overwhelming, actually, because when I look at a deck like the um, the Rider Waite Smith deck, there are so many layers of symbology on the cards. We can, you know, I can look at them, and and there's numerology, there's the Kabbalah, there's alchemy, there's astrology, and so it can be a bit overwhelming when you start to learn it, um, because each card is packed with so much information, and I'm wondering, like how you suggest new students begin their journey in uncovering the mysteries of the tarot. Everything you say is true. It's multi-layered. And you don't have to learn everything at once. I would say, of course, that if someone is new to it, watching my 53 free videos on YouTube, is a very good place to start. I get lovely letters and emails from around the world telling me that people have used it as one of the basis of, of their studies. I love uh, Rachel Pollock's book, The 78 Degrees of Wisdom. I love Mary Greer's uh, workbook, Tarot for Yourself. You know, I'm not saying I'm recommending their other books, but those books are really what I recommend them for my students. And Paul Foster Case, only on the majors, uh, just Tarot, A Key to the Wisdom of the Universe. I think that's the subtitle, but it's by Paul Foster Case. Um, these are the textbooks that I use. And of course, the book I'm writing will be available in about a, a year and a half. Uh, once it's done and been through the publisher's um, magic of forming it into a book, uh, it will be on the minor arcana. 
There are many good books on the major arcana. And uh, I especially am interested in synthesis, and I suppose that's my talent. And that is what we take time to do, to synthesize the astrological aspects, the elements of the ancients, how that forms them, the alchemical symbolism. And I especially love Rider Waite for a couple of reasons. One is that weight. You know, he was not that, he was certainly interested in tarot, but that was not his super big thing. His super big thing was he was an alchemical scholar and spent an awful lot of time translating alchemical texts. And, but he was a member of the Golden Dawn and uh, he saw, and they all had to make and copy their own version of the tarot, not version, their own deck from a pattern that they had. Um, but he knew that it could be better. And he waited, and he waited long time, years and years, and finally, Pamela Coleman-Smith shows up. She's only in her early 20s when she's brought into the I Ching by William Butler Yeats, and she is a psychic artist. And, and you know, she was an early performance artist. Uh, you see, had her on stage drawing while he conducted the orchestra because she could see music and um, painted. He had her painting on stage while he conducted. She was an unusual person. Even for her, this was not the be-all and end-all of her life. She was an artist and she was the first to exhibit in Alfred Steiglitz's um, gallery in New York who was not a photographer. And um, she had this, she did this with uh, weight, the two of them, not knowing that it would become the very best deck, the most copied deck, the deck from which so much else had taken off from. They had no idea the legacy they were leading. And in fact, she wasn't paid very well for it, nor did she receive a claim for it in her lifetime. But then so many of us do not know um, all that we are doing and leave behind. You know, we're all part of some greater plan. I totally believe in that yin and yang symbol, you know, uh, um, the light and dark flowing into each other because I think of it as a 50-50 world. Half of it is beautiful divine order and half of it is chaos. Half of it is bright and beautiful, the other is cloudy, painful, obscure. And why did I say that? In the part that is order, there is something that each of us can contribute and sometimes we are used in a way we do not even know. I tell all my palmistry students, because I adore the hand, um, the hand we call it God's Roadmap, and I do have lots and lots of free videos on that on YouTube also, but we see that everything, instructions about ourselves, how our life is going to go, that it changes when we change so we can interact with it and become co-creators of our life, the magic of this world is actually endless. And if we are fortunate enough just to be listening to this podcast, meaning not that it's you and me, but that we have the technology, we have the intelligence, we have the interest, then you're already on a spiritual path. You're already making yourself available for being used by spirit, for part of the light part, for the beautiful order and magic of life. Hmm. Beautifully said. Now, I'm, I'm kind of interested to talk to you a little bit about, you know, you're, we're talking about like the duality of life and you uh, were a practicing psychotherapist and counselor for many, many years. Yes, just retired this year. So That's, I simply do readings and teach. Yeah. And at the same time, you're doing palm and card readings. And I'm wondering, um, I'm always interested in where different practices or different paths intersect. And I'm wondering if psychology and these mystic arts ever blended into each other at any 
point for you? Oh, I blend them all in my readings. I always use the synthesis. You know, someone could have an hour of just one, but there's nothing like blending, for instance, in the Western Hermetic tradition. The primary axiom, uh, which comes from uh, Hermes' Emerald Tablet, is uh, as above, so below, right? Mm -hmm. uh, that we are a little microcosm, but we are a reflection of the macrocosm. And this law of correspondence uh, reflects all across creation. Now, as it turns out, in the most wonderful way, the planets are both in the chart and in the hand, and it is never-endingly fascinating to me to read a person's hand and have their chart in front of me. In fact, that's generally what I do, to see that the rising sign, the sun and the moon and very special events are reflected like mirror images between the two. And you see the law of correspondence at work, which also means to me that it is not haphazard that the soul really does choose that, choose that moment of birth, that um, the lines in the hand, which may form somewhere around the third month in uterus, and that, that chart uh, pattern, which you breathe in with your first breath, that already they match up. At birth, they match up so that it is a very mysterious uh, intelligence that designs things. I'll see in the hand, and this is not only not uncommon, it is totally common to see. There'll be, you know, I follow the transits of the planets. Of course, once you become fascinated, you just want to know. That's better than the daily news. And... Um, you see, say, there's a huge Pluto transit someone's going to go through, and those Pluto transits last two years because it's so slow-moving. It really puts you through the transformation of death and rebirth. And um, sure enough, at the same time, the line of fate breaks, takes a pause, and shows up and starts, jumps into a whole new cycle. You will see things like that all the time. So, uh, yes, and the cards are different. The planets and the hands, they're one kind of thing. The cards offer extra understanding. Like, for instance, to me, I, the cards, I would practically never use them for fortune telling um, because they could be capricious. You know, if you throw the I Ching too much and people who have, they all laugh when because they, they know very well that the I Ching will give them the a uh, hexagram called Youthful Folly, which is kind of the equivalent of W.C. Field saying, get away, kid, you bother me. And um, like the cards don't have that. What they do have is they'll just say something off the wall or capricious because they don't want to be used just uh, as a fortune-telling device. But if you use them as a spiritual guide and ask them what I think is their favorite question, which is, Tell me what you think I ought to know about myself right now, meaning so that we could take our next step in growth or we can come back to our center. Or alternately, tell me what lesson I am learning in this situation. And they will show us, or what lesson will I be learning if I choose such and such a path? Which will help you be a little bit fortune telly, but still you're phrasing it in terms of uh, your path in life, your own growth. Because we can choose whether we want to take a certain lesson now, or maybe later, or maybe say, I think I'll skip that one. Uh, but when you use them as a spiritual, psychological growth uh, tool, they are. 100% spot on, and they are your friend for life. Hmm. Now, when you're doing readings with people, um, I know people have different approaches. 
one of the things I found interesting to play with in doing readings for my friends is to have them read the symbols of the cards and see what it evokes in them. Is that something that you incorporate? A hundred percent. Absolutely. It's one thing for us. I always do my best to uh, interpret, but remember, there are, these cards have images, and images are the primary language of the subconscious. And dreams speak to us nightly in images. Dreams are primarily visual. So that um, you, I always, always say to whoever has come for a reading with me, okay, now what did these say to you? Mm. What does this look like to you? What does this make you think? Because as it has been observed by the greats, you can study all you like, and it's worthy to study. I like to call studying feeding the subconscious, because in the end, it's the images are there to evoke thoughts in us, and you have to trust those thoughts. Uh, so it can, they can evoke thoughts even in those who have never seen cards before because they're like illustrations to a fairy tale. And I tell them, what kind of story do you think this is telling about your life? Mm. Always ask. So always ask the, the querent what they now, do you do that um, before you give your interpretation or after? Because I would think that if it's after the interpretation, you may have already um, influenced their intuitive reading of the card. Now, you are, you are right, but generally I do, I do it after because it's nice for them to have some, uh, a little information about what the cards mean and to hear it and I, by the time we're reading the cards, because when I do a reading, a long reading, I just read for an hour, an hour and a half with people. Um, and I read for people all over the world through Skype and Facebook and phone and things like that, as well as, of course, right here in my New York apartment. Um, we set up first a feeling of trust, and of course they have heard... Um, what the hand is saying about them because I always start with the hand. It's my bottom line tool of like, who are you? Who, you know, who's the person in front of me? Uh, and therefore, by the time we're looking at the cards, the person has a feeling of openness, I believe, and more trust to jump in and they know they're going to get help from me, but to say what they think. Now, some people are naturally better at this than others. If you see someone with a little extra pink in the outer bottom corner of the hand, oh, show me yours. Put it right up <laughs> like this. Let's see. Now bring it back a little so that the glare is off it. Okay, you have that pink, Brian, in that corner. Do you see that? Because what a lovely man to be in this. What a loving person you are. Also, no wonder that guitar is on the wall. You love music. Just love. Wait, no, keep it right up there. But I wanted to say that that pink, we have a nickname for it in, because uh, this is the bottom corner where the subconscious is. And when it's anything is pink, and any mount, any padding part of the hand could be pink. That shows what part of the brain is very alive, kind of like glowing a little bit. And when it's that in the subconscious, the nickname is the psychic blush. Uh, I love that. <laughs> Isn't that nice? And so when I have clients who are uh, have that, oh, they're going to take to the cards and be because images speak to them. You know, I already know that images speak to you, so it would be easy as pie to say, well, what do you think? Well, what does this look like to you? In fact, I say that when even when I'm reading the chart, not that they're going to do that, but the hand, I... Just always check in and I say, does that sound real to you? Does, does that sound like it really uh, applies to you? And then in case it's a little bit, you know, one way or another, they help me to zoom in. I like to think and I tell that we are like me and the querent are like two psychic detectives working together, but the emphasis is on them. Uh, you know, I really love that. Really, 
it really resonates with the way I like to work with people and um, getting people involved in the process, I think helps them also to develop their own intuitive abilities and to start to trust that, which is really empowering. Oh, listen, most people who would even come for a reading already have a uh, natural inclination and an interest in these things. And so many times people who come to me, I'm surprised and I had to think about it recently. Ellen, can it be really, really true that you should be able saying to people, oh, you should study this or you should study that or you're a natural at this. And then I think, well, you never know. Maybe life just sent them to me so they could hear it because I'm amazed at how many healers and uh, natural mystics are drawn to uh, cross my path whether it's for an official reading, which they pay for, or whether it's for an unofficial reading of which I do a voluminous amount of just taking a little peek at somebody's hand, you know, wherever I go. Yeah, the other thing that I really like about the way you describe um, your sessions with people is that you start with the, the palm reading. And I'm reminded of a great inspiration of mine, my yoga teacher's teacher, Desikachar would always start his sessions with people with a pulse reading. And, you know, he would do it under the pretense of getting a sense of their pulse, diagnosing them that way. But I think there's an added element there, uh, there of uh, developing that trust and connection with the person just by holding their hands in yours. A hundred percent. You know it. You know it. And there is something wonderful about holding someone's hand. And when I start to read in New York or wherever I am, I do not just hold it up. The very first thing I do is I'm feeling the hands, pressing the hands, holding the hands, getting impressions, seeing how far the fingers bend back. Uh, I'm, it's tactile at the beginning. You want that there's so much information, as you know. You know, Pythagoras once said, oh, it's amazing. Everything is intelligent. Mm. Of course, everything is intelligent. Everything speaks. The whole universe speaks to us. And it's up to us to pick up signs. Clouds in the sky speak to us, right? The way a pattern of something will appear before us speaks to us. And of course, these great oracles do too. And you don't have to be a trained reader to have feelings that, oh, look, this is a sign to me. Because for as much pain and chaos as there is in the universe, there's also that equal amount of magic and beauty and connectedness. Mm. Now, as a, as a trained psychotherapist or counselor, why do you think uh, it can be helpful for people to develop their intuition? Well, that's a good question, Brian. Um, well, I'm sure you have noticed life on planet Earth is no easy thing. <laughs> <laughs> we need a big bag of tricks. We need a lot of resources in order to uh, find our way in a good way. And we were given intuition. Look at that. We are, I mean, of course, we are a, um, we're the new kids on the block evolution-wise, and we may not be nature's finest experiment, but we are a very worthy experiment. If we don't wreck it all, you know, she might try another version with us. But um, we are the only creatures who know we're going to die. Hmm. Animals, of course, know when they're in danger. But, you know, ten, five years and two days before the death, they are not thinking about their death. We know about death. We know about it and we live with it. And I think in some way, because of this, we are also given higher faculties to uh, work with life so that is 
is a rich experience in this. Even if you live very long, it's always short. And the mm-hmm. older you get, the faster it goes. And ask anybody over 50 and over 60 and over 70, it's going faster and faster all the time. We, I think, were given very special tools. And one of them is to listen within. There is talked about in almost every mystic path, and I mean mystic path and not religious path, because, well, sometimes religion is just a big uh, business, but there is a mystic heart to all religions, right? Every religion shelters a mystic branch, like Islam shelters the Sufis, right? And there are the Essenes and the Gnostics and things under Christianity and the Christian mystics and Judaism has the Kabbalah. And then there are very freeform mystics who just go directly, you know, it's you and you directly to the divine and to nature. And to me, nature is my great God. And all of us know, and they all say, there is a voice of knowingness. There is a self at the center, it has many names. It's a being, as they say, the being with a thousand names. And in Hermeticism, they say, you know, you will have many wonderful teachers you'll meet along the way, but there is only one master. That master is within. That voice, the still small voice, the voice of the heart, the inner friend, however you want to name it, you get quiet and you listen. There is guidance inside each one of us that will never aggrandize us to say, oh, you're the next savior. And they're never going to put a stamp, say, oh, you're not worthy. It's not like that. But it helps us to navigate, understand the lessons and to have a finer, richer experience. And as I heard someone say recently, if you cannot, we may not live long, but we can live wide. Mm. And so to encompass all these beautiful things that are built into us. And awareness is everything. The minute you start to think about it and study it and to sit still and listen, then a whole world, an extra dimension of such richness opens to us that, um, well, in, in my experience, it broadens and lengthens life because of its richness, because you're paying attention. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, when you're talking about getting older, that time speeds up. But when I'm doing something like a reading or having a deep conversation with someone or uh, sharing yoga with someone, I find that time expands and seems to slow down. So I think uh, engaging in more practices like this where we're going deep into the mystery together and, and getting quiet and doing a lot of listening, I think helps to expand time in a world where time is just ramping up all, you know, emails are coming in as we speak, you know, you keep getting notifications and the people want your attention. And, you know, so I think any excuse we can get to drop in for an hour or so and uh, just get out of time and space you know, and just uh, get into that interior world you talked about. I think it's a good thing. And that does include having a wonderful conversation or listening deeply to music by letting every cell in your body listen. And or a very wonderful word that someone once taught me is the word allow. If we allow our ears to hear, allow our eyes to see, allow the self to see through our eyes and hear through our ears, allow ourselves to be completely present when we are with another, someone important to us and not thinking of what we're gonna say in advance, but just allowing ourselves to hear them and then speaking from the heart. These things become so rich Sometimes I have an experience, Ryan, or I see something so beautiful, and you know that beauty abounds in this world, that I say to myself, 
just for this, I would have come. Hmm. Just for this, I would have hmm. taken an incarnation. Because it's, it's worth it to have had this. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I really love that. Well, I wonder, um, I've kind of run out of questions. and You did you know. really well. I have to say, those are wonderful questions. Well, you're a really easy interview because you've been teaching so long that you just, uh, you're a wealth of knowledge and all I got to do is kind of pop the cork and <laughs> it comes flowing out. <laughs> yeah, there's something to be said for spending a long time in your field. Yeah, no, it's so nice to um, speak with someone who's been, um, I don't know, kind of so immersed in these in these practices and arts for so long. Uh, it's like opening up a fine wine or something, you know. It uh, feels really integrated, and um, yeah, it's just a pleasure. But I, I wondered, and I, you know, tell me if this is too much. But I wonder if we could do a quick sample reading. Totally can. Now, my, the only little problem, and it's not much because you and I can make the decision, is what reading. And how are you going to shuffle them? And what is your question going to be? Because you certainly can. If you are not, first of all, the cards are so intelligent. And they're so like paying attention. All you have to do is not only ask a question that they would like to answer. But um, tell them what each position is going to mean in advance. That's why we often have these templates for readings, you know, like Celtic Cross, or I teach in my uh, free videos, the three card spread, which is the basic unit of divination. Uh, there's also the four card tetragrammaton. I use that enormously. Do you have a reading that you use frequently, a small one using just a few cards that is kind of a pattern you mostly use and you could tell me what it is and therefore I could help you with that knowing and the cards would know what each position is to show you. Well, um, being someone who is really interested in psychology and engaging with the subconscious and primarily interested in the here and now and how things are showing up for us, I really love that three card spread that you offered in the free videos, which has oh, yeah. the the self-conscious, the super-conscious, and the subconscious. So can we use that? And I want to use your favorite question. Uh, that makes the whole thing easy. Okay, yeah, and I want to use your favorite question too. What do I, uh, what could I learn right now at this moment in my life? What, uh, tell me, meaning they, tell me what you think I ought to know about myself right now. Yeah. Okay, you mix them. Take your time and mix them. And um, when you have mixed them, and you know to lay the center one for is, num is number one, just like in the pattern at the top of the tree of life, the center is number one, the second is on the right, and the third will be on the left. And do you want me to cut the deck in any special way? Oh, well, with that reading, what I normally do is give them a very good mix, round and round on the table, so they can find upright and reversed. I mix them round and round. Then I gather them together and I shuffle four times, one for each letter of the name of God in Hebrew. We shuffle four times, then lay the whole deck flat, long ways on the table, put your hand on it, and ask your higher self to help you, and then just cut once, and you'll deal off the cut, off the top of the cut. Okay. Take your time. Take your time. I, after all, you can always edit out the process time. You can edit out all the shuffling. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So you want me to cut the deck? Do you want me to put the bottom on the top or just take... Take the top off and put it aside. Okay. Take your time. And then just using the bottom, peel off the top card the top card the first one goes in the center the second on the right and the third on the left mm, this is interesting whoa okay yes isn't that wonderful and then when you flip them flip them from the side so that they stay exactly as uh, they came out when you shuffled right yeah okay so in that top center position i've got the seven of swords and is it reversed or upright it's upright Okay, very good. 
On the right side, I've got the Queen of Swords upright. Ooh, very nice. Two swords are very friendly. That means this is never going to be completely ill-dignified. Okay, and on the left side, I've got the tower reversed. The tower reversed in the subconscious. Okay, so the Seven of Swords is the center of what they want to say to you right now. The Queen of Swords is going to be what you know with the conscious mind and are quite aware of. And what's going on in the subconscious is big, and it's really big, and it's not so conscious. It's very, it's the tower. And what I would think is Queen of Swords, you know, she is the clearest thinker. And first of all, all the elements are friendly because the Seven of Swords and the Queen of Swords are both air, and the tower ruled by Mars is rule, is a is fire since Mars is a fire planet and therefore there is no elemental painful ill dignity, but the tower reversed is something for us to take into good consideration, and this may either mean in the subconscious that it's a very old story, or that it's not you are not really aware of this yet, and but you feel it something is straining for consciousness and it's big down in the subconscious, and the, here's going to be my interpretation. The Seven of Swords is called the Lord of Unstable Effort. It's ruled by Venus in Aquarius. Queen of Swords, oh, she is a very good and just decision maker. She's kind of like a minor arcana form of the justice card, and you know you have decisions to make. You had even mentioned that to me before, that you have some decisions to make. And you feel in some ways clear that you know you have to make decisions and you feel capable of it, but you waver a lot. We're talking now the center of this being seven of swords. It's unstable effort. Oh, it's this and it's that, and you don't really want to work with it, and you maybe you want to make the decision and then you don't want to think about it and um there's a great deal right now and that's what they're pointing out to you is that it's very hard for you to stay with it but down in the subconscious and the subconscious also includes our emotions because that's where this the emotions come from emotions are not we don't rationally say i'm going to feel this way or i'm going to feel that way they're from great patterning down in the subconscious there is something big that you are for lack of a better word sitting on it's like when it used to be sometimes you see a little cartoon of a guy who like maybe found a little island maybe he was shipwrecked and he think he's on a little island but under the water it's a giant whale you mm -hmm. know just the teeniest bit of the back of the whale is above the ocean you know, he has no idea what he's sitting on you have something very big going on. And it feels to you like maybe if you don't really figure out what you want to do, something big is going to erupt. Because that tower, as you know, it's called the lightning struck tower many times, means revolution, change. Uh, it's used in tarot when we look at the... Um, the evolutionary spiritual stages. It's the second stage of spiritual enlightenment, which has to do with revelation. But when it's reversed like this, luckily it's not ill-dignified, but it feels like the universe is getting ready to give you a real little knock upside the head to say, wake up. You think you have decisions to make and you're like wavering around, seven of swords. Ah, uh, but something is brewing, and you know it. So there is an unease in you, I would guess, emotionally by saying, Ryan, think, choose, know, because your conscious mind is clear that Queen of Swords is very well aspected. No one makes better decisions clearly than she does. And um, perhaps, I don't know, this is just a little guess based on that tower reverse. Maybe if you do not make your decision, that tower is going to erupt and life will make the decision. 
Mm. Could be. Could be, because mm-hmm. that, definitely that's big. You feel the pressure of it anyway. Somewhere deep inside, there's the pressure. You might feel it in the middle of the night. You might feel it in your dreams. You might feel it as you come to waking, like, oh, God, what? And um, they're saying, stay clear, stay with it, don't waver. Hmm. That's my reading of those cards. Yeah, that's very interesting. So you have to think about them. And then also I could say to you, Brian, well, what do you think? No, I think that's right on. Um, Definitely I've wavered in some decisions uh, for the past while. That's nothing new really. And um, the, what you talked about in the subconscious, this something is there and, uh, if if I don't make the decision that the subconscious is going to make the decision for me or life is going to make the decision for me. Because the subconscious makes things manifest. That's the great magical agent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I feel like sometimes I haven't jumped in with both feet into the mystic path that I've been called to since I was a little kid. And there's always been a tension in me about fully giving myself over to that and giving it all of my energy and and trusting it as the pathway for my life. Um, So I've always kind of wavered with that. I've often kept one foot in and one foot out, you know, on stable ground with a stable job and things like that. Uh, And it's been really hard for me to jump in with both feet and just completely trust that that's the right decision. And how does that then feel? Because... What do you think the tower is doing there being sort of, because sometimes when, sometimes when things are reversed, it can be in something that has happened in the past. And when it's in the subconscious, which is the place of habit as well, right? All habitual things are done sort of on subconscious, uh, run by the subconscious. Could this be something that is habitual, a pushing down of the awakening because the tower is the awakening. Just like you could take a few cards and have many different interpretations on different levels of them, just like when we read the cards. So is this an old story? It is. And, you know, it's, it's been a significant kind of breakthrough for me recently. Um, so, like I said, I, I picked up the tarot a couple years ago and just decided to buy my first deck and to explore it. And that was just guided by my intuition. Um, I didn't have a, you know, a set goal with it in mind or anything. It's just like, I feel really drawn to, to just checking this out, you know, exploring it. And, uh, you know, not so long ago, I met a woman who I did co-readings with. We were on a retreat together and um, she's like an older woman. She knew the tarot really well. And I felt like she really helped to nurture Uh, my kind of inner mystic and my intuitive abilities um, because she would talk about the symbology of the card and I would do a more uh, intuitive take of it. And so I feel like this is something that's now being nurtured in me and that I want to continue to develop is, um, you know, the magician archetype. And in a lot of ways, I've, I've done that with my study of yoga and practice of shamanism for many years. But uh, I feel like there's another level that I haven't been developing. And I kind of feel that the tarot is my path to developing that more deeply. If you feel called to it, it's such a friend and it's such a help because it will reflect back to you all the time about the next step what you're learning. It is a guide through life. And it does not require that much study in order to really work for you. After all, I tell my students and they tell me, oh, Ellen, you just read, but we have to look it all up in the notebooks. And I say to them, the tarot knows what's in your notebooks. It knows what book is sitting right by your side. It knows what you have for reference and it adapts to that. The tarot is infinitely genius. So uh, if you have your references and if you make yourself a notebook or make yourself like I did, 
notes of all my favorite readings that I came from, either through what I found in books that I loved or learned from teachers or received in meditation or understood through readings. That's how I've come to my great list of uh, meanings on the higher and lower polarities. Those cards, they know what's on that list. They know what's on the lists of the, in the books of, that my students make, and it will adapt to that. So without even being a super scholar, it will talk to you directly, nonetheless. Mm. Well, this has been really great for me as someone uh, who's been exploring the tarot a little more deeply. Um, and I hope other people got something out of this too, because uh, I just had a blast. And I, I want to thank you, especially for uh, giving me this little reading. I think it's really helpful to show people just how a reading can work. Um, I'm delighted. This has been great fun for me. And I'd always be happy to hear from you or speak with you. Yeah. Well, thanks so much. Okay. Then bye for now. Bye for now. If you enjoyed this conversation, please consider leaving a review on iTunes or sharing it on social media. If you're looking for support on your medicine path, you can become a Patreon subscriber and gain access to hours of yoga practice resources, podcast extras, and a lot more. You can find out more about that at patreon.com forward slash medicine path. And if you'd like more personal support, you can book an online session with me at medicinepathhealingarts.com. Thanks so much for listening. May the road rise up to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. May the sun shine warm upon your face. Until next time we meet on The Medicine Path. are on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.